You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. When I saw the show, it was called The Flagstone. Then we got a letter saying we couldn't use that word because of another cartoon strip, so we changed it to Gladstone. But then we can't use the Gladstones for some reason, and we ended up with the Flintstones. Animator Joseph Barbera, half of Hanna-Barbera. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. What you're about to hear is an interview with the man who helped create some of the fondest memories for millions of baby boomers, Gen Xers, and millennials. His name was Joseph Barbera. And when he partnered with Bill Hanna in 1957, it was the beginning of a whole new era in American animation. During a period of more than 40 years, the Hanna-Barbera team created such iconic characters as the Flintstones. Flintstones, meet the Flintstones. The Jetsons. Well, I just want to be sure. Yesterday, I walked out of here with my shoes on my ears. Huckleberry Hound. Consign crows. Uh-oh. Them corny crows are coming in for the attack. Yogi Bear. I'm going to bust out of here. How come, Yogi? Every day, it's the same old thing. Look at the bears. Look at the bears. Look at the bears. And hundreds of others. In 1994, Joe Barbera wrote his autobiography, a book called My Life in Tunes. That's T-O-O-N-S. And this baby boomer was more than happy to take a stroll with him down the memory lane of America's cartoons. So here now, from 1994, Joseph Barbera. People are calling me and saying, Hey, I didn't know it took, you had to work so hard to sell cartoons. Because that's what I used to do. I would create the characters, do artwork on them, make a presentation package, and I would set out to sell it. This happens, You have to do this every year. And if you don't do it, that means you don't have production going through the studio, and that means that people are out of work. So I got hung up with this deal. Now, when I did that and came back, then I would turn it over to Bill, and he would get it into animation and artwork and production, etc., you know? So it was a, it's a, a 24-hour-a-day job, if I have to say that. Well, it's very easy in hindsight to yes, look at it. Yes, it is. <laughs> exactly, but it's easy to, to look at a show like The Flintstones, The, yeah. Jet, the Jetsons, uh, Huckleberry Hound, and say, well, how could anybody not buy a show like that? Well... But it isn't that easy because the reason I got the book published was I was telling some friends at a, at a publisher's convention about my problems in selling the Flintstones. So the next thing I know, they said, why don't you do a book? And the next thing I know, I was doing a book. But the Flintstones, which is out there right now, and as you know, had a major motion picture done by Steven Spielberg. He produced it. Mm-hmm. And which is over 200 million or more now. I mean, that particular project took me eight weeks to try to sell it, and everybody loved the project, and nobody would buy it. And on the very last day, on a Friday morning, after being in New York for eight weeks, living in a hotel and going out every day trying to pitch the show, pitch the show, on the very last day at nine o'clock in the morning. Leonard Goldenson, the chairman and president of ABC, came in and bought the show in 15 minutes. Now, that sounds fine, right? 
But now you have to go, now that was ABC bought it. That's a network. Then I came home to California and I said, oh my gosh, after eight strenuous weeks and torturous week, I'm home and the phone rings and they say, you got to come back. I said, what for? They said, well, you sold the show to the network, but we haven't sold it to the clients yet. And you're the only one that can do this presentation. Because, you know, it was a presentation where I line the storyboards up on the wall and then I go through them and I do all the voices and I do all the sound effects and all of this funny business. You know, like a stand-up comedian bit, which I didn't realize that's what I was doing <laughs> at the time. And so the first people that bought half of the show were, of all people, the Reynolds Tobacco Company. And we did commercials with Fred and Bonnie smoking Winston cigarettes, if you can believe that. Let's take a Winston break. That's it! Winston is the one filter cigarette that delivers flavor 20 times a pack. 34 years ago, and it didn't mean anything at that time. And the next people that bought the other half of the show were Miles Laboratory, who continue to make the, the vitamins, the Flintstone vitamins today. Mm -hmm. So that's a kind of a capsule version of the saga <laughs> of uh, Flintstone. Well, to, and to keep it in perspective, in at, at that time, ABC was almost like the Fox network is today. It was kind of the upstart, kind of the, the well, young you, network. You put your finger right on it. They were the, the daring, move-forward kind of a network, and... Uh, they decided to take a gamble because no one had ever done a primetime animated show before. And thank goodness it paid off because here we go, as I say, 34 years later, I'm up on the lot at Universal and they're shooting them this major motion picture and, to, and I'm, they gave me a cameo in it and I have a skin on like Fred Flintstone wears. I'm in bare feet like he is. Um, it's nighttime, and I'm freezing to death. And we shot the scene about 20 times. Finally, it shows up in the picture, and what I did in the scene as we shot it was I drive up, I have a lady in the car. She's dressed with a uh, caveman outfit, a skin, and all this. She looks great. I get out. I escort her into the cavern on the green where John Goodman, who plays the part of Flintstone, is dancing up a storm. The orchestra is the BC-52s, and they're, <laughs> they're playing up a storm. So what happens? The picture comes out, and, and the usual trick, I end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> what happens is that I drive in, and they cut the scene at that point. So my career as a movie star ended abruptly, I must say. <laughs> Well, it did occur to me, I mean, so much of the attention that your book has been getting and, and that you've gotten over the years has been centered on the Flintstones, but you've got hundreds of other things that you've done, hundreds of other characters that you've created. Oh, yeah. It, it, well, I, I touch on those all through the book. I mean, it isn't just a Flintstone. That opens the book. But it goes back and forth, and, uh, uh, I mean, these characters, by the way, like Yogi Bear, uh, Top Cat, Johnny Quest, Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy, Quick Draw McGraw and Baba Louie, Inch High Private Eye. Uh, I, I can go on and on, you know. And that's what Turner bought. You know, Turner bought our studio. Mm -hmm. And that's what he bought. He bought uh, almost 8,000 half hours of animation. 
and it's playing all over at this point on what they call the Cartoon Network. So believe me, things like Scooby-Doo <laughs> uh, or Snagglepuss, do you remember any oh, of those? Characters? Oh, absolutely I do. Oh, God. I tell you, I, listen, the, the Cartoon Network has been mo- more help than anything in helping my kids realize what I meant when I referred to El Cabong. Pick him up, stagecoach. Cabong! <laughs> Or, or when I would say, exit, stage left. Oh, yeah. How, how do you do? <laughs> That's right. Does it make your shoulder to look over your nervous? Heavens to Murgatroyd. His shooting has improved immensely. A Tell quick... me something, you know. A quick straw. Isn't, isn't that a great character, you know? I, the, all those characters, to this day, I cannot hear a rooster crowing without thinking of cornflakes and huckleberry hound. That's, that's, I'll tell you, what they did at one time... You see, because in Huckleberry Hound's show was also Yogi Bear. Mm-hmm. And we had another great character. It was the cat that hated Mises to pieces. Yes. <laughs> you remember that guy? Absolutely. Well, that was done by a man called Dawes Butler. And that voice, which was a, a takeoff of Marlon Brando, people really didn't realize it. <laughs> because he would talk like, hey, uh, like uh, you Mises, you, you know, I hate you to pieces, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we had a heck of a time with those characters. But it wasn't easy selling them. After this short break, how the Flintstones almost died even before the first episode aired. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Joseph Barbera. Nothing was easy. That's the thing that if you read the book, you'll see a whole other side of this whole fantasy world of animation which is bigger today than ever and it is it has been it has i I take it it's been a pleasant struggle at times but it has been a struggle at times for you oh yeah well to give you a couple of quick things when i saw the show it was called the flagstones right then we got a letter saying we couldn't use that word because of another cartoon strip so we changed it to gladstone meantime this is agonizing because everything was in work under the title of Flagstone. But then we can't use the Gladstones for some reason, and we ended up with the Flintstone. Now, that's a little thing. Now I sell Yogi Bear, and we're all happy and was working on Yogi Bear, and I get a call from Kellogg saying you can't use him. Why? Well, there's another cereal that has a bear on the cover called Honey Bear. Well, anyway, at least they gave in and let us go ahead and do it. But... <laughs> Time after time, we'd run on these kind of problems. Uh, I, I had a, a, a fabulous argument with a cousin of mine when I was about five right. because he was referring to the Yankee catcher. And I said, it's not Barra, it's Bear. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> well, we went through that. We agonized about that until we were told there was no problem with using Yogi Bear because, number one, he wasn't simulating Yogi Berra, who was a ball player. Our bear was in, in Jellystone Park. And another thing is, Yogi Berra's name, I understand, is Lawrence. Uh, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, so that problem, we, we, we agonize over that, too, you know. It was one thing after the other, but always. Like, I went in one day, and my partner's sitting there, and I say, what's the matter? And we had just sold the Flintstones, and we were in a, into production on it. We were in the production about four weeks or five weeks, and he's just, he had gone over the production figures, and he's looked at me, he said, we can't deliver the show. Now, remember, 
This is after all the effort and sweat of trying to sell it and finally do selling it and finally going into production and, and also casting voices, which is a huge job. So I said, well, call New York and tell them we can't deliver it because by that time I had had it. So he called New York, and I will tell you, they went berserk. <laughs> yes. That's the Columbia people, you know, the Screen Gems people. They were, they called and hollered and threat, threatened, and the next day they were all at the doorsteps, three of them. I mean, it was like the mafia arriving, you know. <laughs> you guys, you, you guys finished them their shows or you're dead, you know. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, we went to work and finished the shows. But well, it was one thing after the other, but they were all pretty fun stories because I had meetings, you know, with people like Michael Eisner a lot of times. I had Michael Eisner, Barry Diller, Bud Grant, a whole bunch of people, uh, Tartikoff. These are all people that are in the industry going full blast right now, as you know. Mm -hmm. And now, you got all these incidents in the book, and uh, some of them are very funny, thank goodness. Well, also, one thing that you said in the book is that uh, in your personal, your, your graveyard, the ideas that have never been sold. Oh, that, yeah. That you had, a, that you had a, a story about a family next door to the Flintstones called the Blackstones. Well, it's... Coincidentally, yesterday I had a whole group of, of interns, we call them, that are working, you know, learning about the business, and almost all of them were black. And, I t and they said to me, we heard you were working on, a on an idea called the Blackstone. What happened to it? I said, well, what happened to it, I said, was that I was ahead of my time. It was like when they did All in the Family, and you remember they introduced the Jefferson. There was a lot of brouhaha about that. Nevertheless, I said, look, I have the sketch that I did. So I went and got the sketch of the black family called the Blackstones who were going to move in next door to the Flintstone. And they loved it. They laughed. And they said, this is a great idea. But you see, I was just ahead of the time at the time. People were nervous about using a black family, if you can believe it. You yeah, know? it's well, it's yeah, I can believe that. I just saw on the on the newswire the other day there was a, a university study done that, that found that up until very recently the cartoons have been dominated by men, and you, boy, you can't have that. They're all men in those cartoons. Yeah, yeah, that that comes up. Uh, we have. Well, I'm speaking to Margaret Lesh, the head of Fox Network, and she would love to have a show with us with a woman star in it. Which sounds easier than it is. Because when you get down to it, how rough can you get with a woman character? Can you bash her? Can you have a turnover? And can you get a run over by a steamroller, you know? All the cartoon gags, you can't do that. So we have been thinking about it, and we're working on that. Maybe you could have a Roseanne type of character. Oh, yeah. We, we talked about that. that. We... Uh, we we worked out a, on a Lily Tomlin character, an Oprah Winfrey character, <laughs> and a Whoopi Goldberg character, and we're developing all the time. But that's what you have to do to stay alive. Does it ever cease to give you pleasure to see your own work on television? No. No, i tell you what gives me real pleasure. I'm doing a lot of signing of art, of cell art. I know you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those, are, those are pieces of art from the pictures, and they're on celluloid. And those are, being, those are being shown in galleries all over the United States and around the world now. So I go to those galleries, and they set up a table, and I'm autographing cells and autographing my book. And the pleasure is to have a family come up, a mother, a father, and children, 
And they lean over and they say to me, I was raised on your cartoons, and we're going to enjoy them all over again with our children. And they're so happy to tell me this. And this line of people a block long just wait patiently for an hour or an hour and a half. That's what gives you pleasure, that people love the characters. Even if they do bring you Bugs Bunny from time to time. Oh, yeah. Well, they're <laughs> going. The Chuck Jones is out pitching that, you know, yep. Frizz Freeling again. But what has happened is that Tex Avery, familiar with that name? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, suddenly Tex Avery, people are beginning to appreciate what a genius the man was. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that because we hired him here. And he worked for us right until the last day. So we know that. In fact, we're, we just did one of his characters called Droopy. You familiar with Droopy? He, was he the elevator operator in uh, Roger Rabbit? No. Well, yes, yes. That was a cameo he had in that picture. <laughs> and we put him into our Tom and Jerry feature that we did. We had him in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he has that voice, you know. Yes. <laughs> you, you, you know what? It's very slow, though. You know what? What? I'm happy. You know what? I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's a terrific character. Oh, I, I love him. Joseph Barbera died in 2006. He was 95. And you can get Joseph Barbera's book by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and that's also where you'll find my interview with another legendary cartoon animator, the creator of Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, my 1989 interview with Chuck Jones. So when he sent the drawing back to Bugs Hardaway, he put on there Bugs hyphen Bunny. We were not terribly profound, but when we looked up and saw this thing and it said Bugs Bunny, well, naturally all the Catholics looked up and said, okay, God, we'll take it from here. And my 1988 interview with the man who voiced hundreds of those cartoon characters the legendary Mel Blank. They come up to me and say, Hey, Mel, can you do a Porky Pig? And I'll say, Please, not now. I mean, I'm buying stuff. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already done so on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I thank you for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, she's been called the world's greatest female athlete ever. My 1997 conversation with Olympic gold medalist Jackie Joyner-Kersey. There are people out there that know a lot about me, but they see me as this great athlete, but they don't know the challenges that I was faced with and how I dealt with those different obstacles and how I had to be very strong mentally. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.